very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. Now to listen to tonight's full interview, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Give yourself the gift of truth. And if you want to unlock your full potential, go to SanitasRadio.com and listen. It's your life. Take control. When we think of Egypt, we think of an era of few thousand years ago. Could the time frame be incorrect? We've also heard of a global cataclysm that changed everything 12,000 years ago. Could the pyramids and other Egyptian monuments may have been created by the dynastic Egyptians or not? What about Baalbek in the Beka Valley of Lebanon? There is a cut stone there weighing 1,000 tons, the equivalent of 13 Boeing 747s. How were they moved? To answer these and more questions, tonight's special guests are two modern-day Indiana Jones. It's great to know there are people in this world who are not satisfied with what has been written in our history books, and they take the proverbial bull by the horns and conduct their own research. Their fascination with ancient history and with trying to decode what the ancient ones left behind is what drives them. I could spend a large portion of the show reading their bios, but you can read them on our website. Today's special guests are Brian Forster, a veteran of this radio program, and Stephen Mailer. They are both authors. Brian's latest book is titled Lost Ancient Technology of Peru and Bolivia. And Stephen is also an author, with many books, his latest is Where Pharaohs Dwell, One Mystic's Journey Through the Gates of Immortality, co-authored with Patricia Corey. By the way, I just so happened to have interviewed Patricia last night directly from Rome. Brian and Stephen have also appeared on History Channel's Ancient Aliens. Their websites, hiddenincatours.com and chemitology, that's G-H-E-M-I-T-O-L-O-G-Y.com. And directly from Cusco, Peru, and Colorado, USA, I would like to welcome Brian Forster and Stephen Mailer. Gentlemen, welcome to Veritas. Thank you, Mel. Thank you, Mel. Always, always a pleasure. And, you know, I know Brian. I've been following you for, for years now. I'm new to, to the work of Stephen Mailer, but one of our good, good and loyal listeners, Kurt, sent me some information, some so a few weeks ago, and said you have to have Stephen also. So what a great combination to have Brian and Stephen here with us today. You were both in Egypt recently. Why don't you, first of all, give us a recount what you found 
in this most recent trip? Go ahead, Stephen. Well, um, this is an incredible connection, as you've mentioned, Mel. Uh, I would just briefly like to let people know that I've been actually involved in the study of ancient Egypt all my life, uh, since I was about eight years old, but seriously since 1968. And I've, I've been to Egypt 19 times over the last 22 years. And this connection with Brian, though, is very significant. Uh, I, was, I was fortunate to have had an Egyptian teacher. That's what the website is all about. People can learn about him. His name was Abdel Hakim Awiyan. He passed away in 2008. He was 56 years, an active tour guide and an indigenous wisdom keeper. Now, how Brian and I connected is there's a woman named Carmen Bolter. I introduced her to Hakim at Cairo Airport in September 1997. And she uh, since has done a series of, of videos called The Pyramid Code, which featured Hakim, came out in 2009. Brian had seen these videos, and he connected to Hakim, and he thought there was something really strong there. And one thing led to another. We connected on Facebook, and we have since become colleagues and co-workers. We have done three tours we call techno-spiritual tours in 2013, which also featured the great Chris Dunn, and, and this past April. The reason why we call them techno-spiritual tours, just so the listeners understand, the ancient people did not separate. In other words, there was no separation to the ancient people between what was technological and what was spiritual. It was all the same. And so we combined these things in the tour. We had a wonderful tour. What is really great about our tours is the people that we attract. We attract all different types of people, from engineers, physicists, chemists, uh, uh, geologists, and, and spiritual people who've been on the path for many years, and that, that action is combined. And so what happens with our group is our people usually find new things for us. Every time we go, I come, every time we go to Egypt, I give people introductory talk, and I say that it has never gotten old for me. It never does, because we find something new each time. And Brian has been very instrumental in the last three tours in helping us to find new things. And so we can talk in detail about the things we found this time, but it is part of our group that our group actually become explorers with us. They find things that we've never seen before. So each time we go, we always find something new. And Brian has been, Brian has been an, an amazing component on these tours. Absolutely. Let me just say this. I recently interviewed our good, our mutual friend, Carmen Bolter, and I've watched the Pyramid Code, and I was very impressed with Hakim. And I had no idea until I interviewed uh, Dr. Bolter that he had passed away. What a loss. He was a great man, wasn't he? He was a great man. and He was uh, not only my teacher, my master, but he actually became a father figure to me. He, he adopted me as his oldest son. His family is, is, is what we continue to work. When we talk about what people go to chematology.com, they see that it, it is the Kemet School of Ancient Mysticism. It is founded by his second youngest son, Yusuf, and his wife, Patricia. That's who we do the tours with. And so the work continues. He was an amazing man. And the more we find out that there was a family legacy, it was not just him, it was his uncle, his grandfather. This is a family tradition of what we call wisdom keepers, of people keeping the hidden knowledge of what ancient Egypt was about. And Brian, too, now has become adopted into the Arian family, and he's a member of the family, and he gets the access to all of these things, too. Well, that's great. Brian, what's your reaction to your latest trip? Well, I think one of the most profound things was we had Susan Moore from Canada, who's a geologist with us, uh, for the second time, and she was able to re-identify some of the stone. Um, commonly, 
most of the of the granitic stones are simply called granite, but she was able to re-identify some of them as granodiorite, um, diorite, and uh, cyanite. And that way, we can, in the future, be able to try to track down other quarries, because most people think that all of the granite in Egypt that was used in the Giza Plateau, etc., came from Aswan. But it's possible that some of it came from even farther away. Aswan is 500 miles from Giza, but it's possible that some of the stone came from Central Africa or even farther afield, which is quite profound. Right. Now, about going back to Hakim, did he see eye to eye, and I think I know the answer, with Dr. <laughs> Sahih Hawass? <laughs> That's a question that's been, you know, I've been, I've been interviewed for over 20 years on this, and that question came up a lot in the 90s and 2000s. So, uh, Hakim created a new discipline. He used to say to us, if you don't like the system, create your own. So, people should understand that he was a credentialed Egyptologist. He had dual degrees in Egyptology and archaeology from what was then called Fawad University in Cairo, 1952. It is now Cairo University. So he was a trained scientist, a trained archaeologist, Egyptologist. But through his work, through his family, indigenous wisdom teachers, through meeting great teachers throughout his life when he was a young boy, he realized there was a lot more than what Egyptology was teaching. So he created a system that we now call chemetology, because chemet was the term of the ancient civilization, meant the black land, the dark, rich alluvial soil that the Nile she deposits every time she, she, she floods, which is the basis of the agriculture. So the black land, it never was called Egypt. Egypt was a Greek name, came from a Greek combination. So he decided to create a new discipline. And the discipline basically says that there was a previous civilization, a previously highly advanced, developed megalithic civilization way before the so-called dynastic period, way before the time that Egyptology says was the civilization. So we call it Kemet. So that's why we developed the system chemitology. And this is where Brian Foster came right into the picture. Because for years, he's been studying civilizations in Peru, in Bolivia, in ancient Polynesian, in, in, in Hawaii, in Easter Island. And he has recognized that there was a previous megalithic civilization. We see it at Pumapunku. We see it at Tiwanaku. We see it in the, Cus in the Sacred Valley of Cusco. So Brian's been looking at this for years. And now he comes to Egypt in 2013, and he sees that Egypt is a storehouse of megalithic ancient civilization. So this is the theme that we work with. We work with the idea that there were previous megalithic civilizations all around the world. We search for evidence of them, but that Kemet, which was only, not only Africa, but was Asia and Europe too, was all centered around the world and spread its knowledge around the world. Brian talked about the fact that Susan Moore, who's now become the Kemet School geologist, she has done an amazing work redefining the stone for us. We now know that there are two other quarries for Egyptian granite that we have to look for. And as Brian said, granite is just a general term. She is now giving us the specific types of granite to look at. Like he said, cyanite, which is the beautiful rose quartz granite that comes from Aswan. Uh, and there's also rhyolite, which is a purple granite. So there's different types of granite. It's just not enough to say granite. We're now being able to differentiate and through the use of Yusuf Awiyan, who's also a stonemason, we now know that at least 10 different types of stone that we can identify that the ancient Egyptians commissions used, at least then. You know, we always told Christopher Columbus discovered America, but we all, we all know that he rediscovered it. He just opened the doors or the, 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 the navigation for the Europeans. Brian, you're being 
pretty much connecting dots throughout South America for years now. Now, with your involvement in Egypt, have you seen parallels between the civilizations of the Inca, the Maya, the Aztecs, with the what you found in Egypt? Well, in in some cases, yes. Um, I guess you could say that uh, in the Cusco area and Machu Picchu, you see the polygonal masonry or the you know stone on stone contact without mortar or cement, etc. And some of the walls have these very curious protrusions or knobs on them, and that it really shocked me when uh, we went to the <clears throat> the third pyramid, the so-called Menkare, uh, on the Giza Plateau, and that um, construction technique is almost exactly the same as we find in Cusco, literally five blocks from where I'm sitting right now. So there is that, but you also find some other uh, major differences. We see a lot more... Um, high-technology tool marks in Egypt, as in saw marks, drill holes, etc., which you don't really find in Peru. So people, you know, try to say that um, all of the megalithic work in Peru and Bolivia and Egypt were done by the same culture, but that's it's not necessarily true, but I think we're looking at the same timeline. We're looking pre-cataclysmic 12,000-plus years ago. Exactly. What, what we are seeing is local variation, no doubt about it. The, uh, particularly at Pumapunko, Tijuanaco, uh, uh, the wonderful zigzag designs that were very unique to the, to the South American cultures. But what we do recognize is, as Brian has said and continually says, lost ancient advanced technology. We see the same type of work in the igneous stone. Again, granite being seven on the Mohs scale, MOHS, the, the scale that geology uses for hardness of stone, diamond being 10, uh, corundum and ruby being nine. So granite being seven because of the quartz content, uh, we see andesite granite in, in Peru and South America. We see the, the cyanide granite. We see the same type of ability to work in stones, but definitely local variation, no doubt about it. The, uh, uh, the, the ancient uh, Bolivian people were very unique in the type of design work they did in very hard stone. But we believe that there were contacts. In other words, there's a famous quote that's been used by many different researchers. David Hatcher Childress has used it. Gunnar Thompson has used it. It is a quote that says, the oceans were not barriers, they were highways. And Brian is a sailor, and he knows how people use the currents and the trade winds. And that's exactly how ancient people traveled all around the world. This is why there are pyramids all around the world, which is why we are finding this ancient megalithic structures all around the world. This was an ancient worldwide culture, not just an Atlantis that was centered in the, in, the, in the Mediterranean. It was a worldwide global culture. Obviously, we're going to be jumping around between the Middle East, uh, Egypt, and also South America. I have to ask you, Brian, regarding the, the Lake T Titicaca, 4,050 meters above sea level. Yet, we see a lot of uh, profusion of fossilized marine life there. How did that happen? Um, well, there are, of course, there are different theories about that. Um, <clears throat> what we do know, geologically speaking, is okay, is that um, Lake Titicaca originally was the ocean because you do find, as you said, um, a lot of um, marine fossils. Also, the water. Very high in so repeat that because I lost you there. Go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. 
<clears throat> well, also, also the uh, the water of Lake Titicaca is very high in salt content, not necessarily sodium chloride anymore, but magnesium salts, etc. And south of Lake Titicaca, we have the largest salt flats in the world. So what we do know is that at one time, 12,000 plus years ago, Lake Titicaca was about 10 times the size it is now. And um, there was a major upheaval that um, caused the, the land to slant from north to south, creating this giant salt flat. And in Lake Titicaca to this day, there are still seahorses. Hmm. So can we speculate that at one time Lake Titicaca was at sea level? Yes, it, it definitely was. Whether it, it was obviously some kind of giant upthrust that happened, uh, rising it up to approximately 13,000 feet. But whether that happened 12,000 years ago or 12 million years ago, there are many different theories bouncing back and forth. And can we speculate or maybe even conclude that some of these cultures, meaning the, the Maya, the Aztecs, the Incas, the Egyptians, were they in communication with each other? Because we're, we're led to believe that it was Columbus who united it all. But looking at their engineering, their, their, their megalithic structures, there must have been some kind of communication, perhaps pre-cataclysm or even after. Well, the great thing is that uh, Yusuf Awiyan discovered some glyphs at Saqqara, and I'd like Stephen to describe. Yes. Yes. Uh, Mel, I think we would both answer yes, yes to that question. Because, uh, again, <laughs> Good. Well, first time Brian came to Egypt, he was immediately amazed at, at the similarities he could see and the differences that he could note, but and the similarities. Uh, we have made some incredible discoveries in the Kemet School. That's why we ask people to go to the website. We have, and Brian is going to be on his way to Australia to see what I'm going to discuss right now very in the next month or two. Uh, there are what are known as the Gosford Glyphs. These glyphs that have been found on a, on a wall, a stone wall, way in the outback of Australia. They've been known for almost 100 years. Uh, many people said dismiss them as ultimate frauds. It couldn't possibly be true. We had our two experts, who was Yusuf Awiyan and our a resident Egyptologist, chemistologist. Muhammad Ibrahim, who specializes in reading the signs and glyphs. He did a detailed analysis they did together of these glyphs and then concluded they are legitimate. They are about 2,500 years old. They actually translated it. So there is some distinct evidence ancient commissions made it to Australia. Now, also what Brian has found, uh, talking about last year, we went into a tomb at Saqqara, one of the famous sites in Egypt, one of the oldest sites. Is thought of just being a necropolis, a burial site, but we know it wasn't once an active living site. We went into a tomb there, 5th Dynasty tomb, dated around 2300 BCE. We found an inscription on the wall. I translated the inscription. We're going to still work on it with everybody together. That description could have read as follows, saying the direction from Tawi. Tawi meant all lands, was another term for Kemet. There were many terms they used for their land, Kemet being one, the black land, Tawi meaning all lands, also another word for Kemet. Okay, saying the direction from Kemet to Pad-U. Pad-U is actually a Kemetian term. Per means house, U would mean many. So actually they're saying the term that they heard this country was called was a Kemetian term, many houses. So they're saying the direction from Kemet to Peru is across four waters. 
I would say those four waters would be the Nile, the Atlantic, the Pacific, and the Amazon. So here is an inscription 4,300 years ago, possibly stating that the dynastic or even more ancient Egyptian had already been to South America and had come. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.